this season. I want to begin this morning a, a new series of messages where we're going to be talking about desperate prayer. Some of you may remember the old comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. It was one of my favorites growing up. In one of those, Calvin wakes up his mother and says, hey, mom, get up. I made you a Mother's Day card. Well, his mom is delighted, and she starts to read it out loud. It says, I was going to buy a card with hearts of pink and red, but then I thought I'd rather spend the money instead. It's awfully hard to buy things when one's allowance is so small, so I guess you're pretty lucky I got you anything at all. Happy Mother's Day. There I've said it. Now I'm done. So how about getting out of bed and fixing breakfast for your son? Well, if you're a mom this morning, I hope your day maybe started out a little better than that. As has already been noted, being a mom is not easy. There is joy and heartache, frustration and pride, and often fatigue. Urban Bombeck once wrote, the easiest part of being a mother is giving birth. The hard part is showing up for it each and every day. And yet, moms, we know that you do. And while to this world you may be only one person, to one person you are the world. So today we celebrate Mother's Day. And I recognize that this is not an easy day for, any, for everyone for many different reasons. Some of us have lost our mothers to death and we miss them terribly. Others may have godly mothers, or maybe not, and the truth is the syrupy sentiments of the day just don't quite fit. There are some who wish to have children, but to date they have not, and still others who have lost a child, and the pain is real. I want you to know that we understand the many emotions that this day evokes, but with all that said, i believe it is vital that we understand the importance of godly mothering. One such person that we see in the scriptures is the person Hannah out of the Old Testament. And this morning, I'd like us to consider together her story. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1, and it's an extensive story, so we begin here with verse 1 and read down through verse 18. But I'd like you to listen in. If not, in fact, you're more invited, more than invited to join us in reading the scripture together. 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'm going to begin with verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and 
would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of her life, and no razor will ever be used on her head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. She said, may the servant find favor, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. May God add his blessing to that word. You know, in the book of Judges, during the same time period in Israel, it says, in those days of Israel, they had no king, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. So in other words, the nation was out of control. The culture was disintegrating politically, economically, and most certainly spiritually. In fact, reading on in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. In other words, God was not being heard. The nation needed a great spiritual leader. And as so often has been the case, God needed a great woman to shape that leader. In fact, the greatest legacy I believe a mother can ever give is a child who follows hard after God. It is a nation's greatest hope. Now, we see in Hannah a godly woman. You see, at this time, very few people were worshiping in the tabernacle in those days, but Hannah remained a faithful believer. And despite the fact that she trusted God, I want you to note that she faced a mountain of problems. Everything was not easy for her. Hannah was a godly woman in a godless culture, but she still knew the sting of disappointment, embarrassment, and loneliness. You've probably been there yourself. You may in fact be there today. Hannah's problems began with her marriage. As you note here, the scriptures tell us that her husband was also married to another woman. Elkanah was married to Hannah and Peninnah. 
Thus he had two wives, and maybe you see the problem. Someone said that bigamy carries its own judgment to mothers-in-law. Now, I want you to know the Bible never has anything good to say about polygamy. It's clear that God's intent was for one man to have one wife from the beginning. And one of the reasons I think that that's important is because the most important relationship in a family in raising godly children is not, in fact, the relationship between the parent and child. It is rather the relationship between mother and father. When they see mom and dad, our children see modeled right before their eyes what a healthy or a not-so-healthy relationship will look like. As most of you know, we have four children who were very close in age. They're very, very close. And in those early years, we got all kinds of stares. And I'm sure people were thinking, what were they thinking? We'd hear the question, how do you do it? I remember those days when they were all in car seats. Imagine us getting in. A 10-minute trip would take 45 minutes. We'd go to a restaurant, and invariably there would be a tantrum to deal with. But then my wife would calm down and stop crying, and we could get on with the meal. How we treat each other in those stressful times is so important. When they look at mom and dad, they're learning about sacrifice and selfishness, about vice and virtue. They'll see forgiveness or bitterness, heartburn, sin, or what salvation really is. Now, we don't always get that right, but the fact is that even more important than my relationship with my children is the relationship I have with their mother. But the reality, as we look at this text, is, is this relationship wasn't perfect. Hannah had so much working against her, and what's more, Peninnah had given birth to children, Hannah had not. I know there are few things in life that carry a bigger disappointment than wanting to have a child and not being able to. In that culture, Hannah was considered to be cursed. And so she was spiritually disturbed, socially disgraced, emotionally depressed. Now, her husband was apparently a loving man. I hope you see this. Uh, The scripture says he would give her a double portion of the food. In other words, for a dollar more, he'd get her a super-sized meal. And I'm thinking, you know, that's kind of just like a guy. Hey, honey, you're upset. Let's upsize and get you the large fry today. But we see him trying to talk with her. And like most men, he doesn't do a very good job of it. Ladies, your husband's inability sometimes to understand and empathize with you did not begin with him. It's been going on for generations. He says to her, you don't need ten sons. You've got me. It didn't help. And then you had Peninnah, who would not give her a moment's peace about her barrenness. She would make fun of her. She provoked her, irritated her. Peninnah wasn't just thankful she had children. She had to harass Hannah. And this bothered Hannah so much that she would weep and not eat. And I think most of us maybe have been at that point where we are so grievous about something, something so deep that we just have lost our appetite. 
Hannah knew problems and pain. But this is why I admire Hannah. Listen, she had problems and she had pain. But she doesn't lash out at those around her. Nor did she give up and say, I'm out of here. Instead, she went to the only place she could. She went to prayer. So many people in their darkness and despair give up on God, and thus their despair grows darker. But God, in fact, often uses those times of despair as a marvelous invitation to know him better. Psalm 119 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that thy word has revived me. Hannah goes before the Lord. She prays, and you get the sense that this isn't just a popcorn prayer. This isn't, well, this is what I need, and she gets up and moves on. No. The scripture says that she was praying continually, and she was weeping and worshiping and pouring her heart out to God. She was broken. And that brings me to this. I know that everyone wants to have a good family. Eugene Peterson writes, A search of scripture turns up a surprising truth. There are no exemplary families. Not a single family is portrayed in scripture in such a way as to evoke admiration in us. There's not one family for us to look up to and model. Adam and Eve are no sooner out of the garden than one son kills another. Shem, Ham, and Japheth are forced to devise a strategy to cover up their father's drunken shame. Jacob and Esau become bitter rivals. Joseph's father plays favorites and his brothers redefine sibling rivalry. David is a man after God's own heart, but he can't manage his own household. Even Jesus' family criticizes him and doesn't appreciate who he was. The biblical material constantly portrays the family not as this Norman Rockwell painting, but as a series of broken relationships in need of grace. I bet your family in some way, in some situation this morning, is in need of grace. I am so glad that I had two parents that loved me and they were people who loved the Lord. But it wasn't a perfect family. I heard a preacher the other day say that he remembered an argument he had with his mom. He said she got so fed up, she didn't know what to do, so she left the room. He said, I soon went upstairs and looked through the crack of the door, and then I saw my mom praying for me. He said, you know, it didn't melt my heart at that moment, but that image stuck with me. Listen, this morning, if your family is in need of grace, it's also in need of prayer. Now, amazingly, this high priest, Eli, is not used to seeing people in the the tabernacle pouring their hearts out. He thinks Hannah is drunk. 
Now, now that says something, doesn't it? The priest was more used to drunk people carrying on in the tabernacle than honest pouring out of hearts before an altar to God. And so he chastises her. But when she responds rather lucidly and she tells him her request, he says to her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your request. Now I want you to note that Hannah does two things in prayer. She makes her request, Lord, I want a son. But she also goes a step further. Hannah realizes that any child God gives her still belongs to God. You see, our children don't belong to us. They are ultimately his. He gives them to us for a season and for a purpose, and our purpose as parents is not simply to turn them into professionals. It's not to make them good people even. Our responsibility is to turn and tune their hearts toward God and be certain that they serve him regardless of what they do with their lives. And so Hannah commits to God that her son will fulfill the vow of the Nazarites. Now, a Nazarite was one who would serve the Lord with his whole life, abstain from alcohol, commit to never touching a dead body, and never cut his hair. She was saying, Lord, if I have a child, I will give him back to you. At times, on this very platform, we'll dedicate children as parents come and as a ceremony in the church. That is a reminder that parents are just following in the footsteps of Hannah. But of course, it's more than that. It's not just saying it, it's actually fulfilling the vow. And Hannah did that. God granted her request, and when Samuel was born and then weaned, maybe as early as four years old, she takes him to the tabernacle where he would serve the Lord. Now, most of us aren't called to release our children as early as Hannah was. But I'm going to tell you that A godly mother knows releasing begins at an early age. It's not just when they go to college or they get married or they join the military. It's by progression and degrees. Think about it. That first time you let someone else hold your baby, you're beginning the process of letting them go. When a mother leaves a child in the church nursery, When the day comes, they're just five years old, but the bus comes to pick them up for kindergarten. You're releasing her. You let your son go to church for, or go to church camp for the summer. You you get that call on a Tuesday night, and it's your boy, and he says, Mom, I don't feel very good, and my counselor says I'm homesick. Could you come and get me? And you say, now, son, you're you're 12 years old. It's time for you to, 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 to grow up. We'll be, on, we'll be there on Saturday. If we have nothing else to do, we'll be there to pick you up. You're, you're releasing your child. The, the driving of the car, the, the summer job, allowing them to go out on a date, you're releasing your child. And if you've done that right, when it's time for them, for instance, to go off to college, there's Still the lump in your throat, maybe the tear in your eye, but within two or three days, or maybe it's just two or three minutes, you adjust to an empty nest, and you know it's the right thing. 
I heard of one young man who called home to his mother after six months of marriage, and he began to document all the problems they were having in the marriage. And finally, the mother said, well, son, what do you want to do? He said, mom, I want to come home. And his mom said, son, you are home. That's releasing your child. It's a wise mother that knows it's, it's nice to be needed, but the ultimate goal for that child is to one day be physically, emotionally, and spiritually mature and independent of her. But the thing Hannah wanted most for her child was for him to know God. She, she brought him to the tabernacle, and I think today in our church and our families, maybe we need a little bit more of that brokenness. We need parents who aren't afraid to say and show their children, listen, our family, we need to depend on God. Hannah wasn't afraid to go to the tabernacle, bow at an altar, and she brought Samuel with her. In fact, speaking of young Samuel, in verse 28, it says, and he worshiped the Lord there. Yes, even a four-year-old can learn to worship. Listen to me. God loves your child more than you do. And the greatest gift you can give your children is to bathe them regularly in the presence of God. I see so many families in our culture today who will show up to church when it's convenient, Take the time when it makes sense. But Satan is always really good at making church inconvenient. I think one of the ways that you demonstrate faith and commitment to God is by making church a non-negotiable in terms of worship. Someone said, if you don't make a habit out of going to church each Sunday, you shoot yourself in the foot, your children in the leg, and your grandchildren in the heart. Folks, if you're seriously committed to faith, if, if, if you aren't willing to be broken before God, if you can find anything and everything to do rather than be in his presence, listen, your children will follow you. We need to make this time that we have together a highlight of the week, something we enjoy and celebrate, and that comes through our attitude, Mom. It comes through our attitudes, Dad. One writer put it this way. He said, don't worry that your children never listen to you. Worry that they're always watching you. Deuteronomy 6 reminds us, these commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. If you want your child to have a relationship with God, you have to have a relationship with him, too. During the Holocaust, Solomon Rosenberg, his wife, and their two sons were arrested and placed in a concentration camp. Man, we, we think we've got it tough today. Imagine. The rules were simple. As long as you could work, then you would be permitted to live. And if you became too weak to work, then you would be exterminated. Rosenberg watched as his own mother and father were marched off to their deaths, and he knew that his youngest son, David, would be the next because he had always been a frail child. 
Every evening, Rosenberg came back into the barracks after his hours of hard labor, and he would search the faces of the crowd to see his family. When he found them, they would huddle together, embrace one another, and thank God for another day of life. But one day came when he didn't see those familiar faces. He finally discovered his oldest son, Joshua, in a corner, sobbing and praying. Joshua, tell me it's not true. Joshua turned to his dad and said, it is true, dad. Today, David was not strong enough to do his work, and so they took him away. Mr. Rosenberg then asked, but where is your mother? Joshua could barely speak, but he finally answered, and he said, Dad, when they came for David, he was afraid, and he cried. And so Mom took his hand and went with him. Hannah made a commitment in prayer. When it was over, the scripture says she went her way, ate, and her face was no longer downcast. Do you know why? She didn't have an answer, by the way, to her prayer at that point. She didn't know what God would do. But she trusted him. And he took her hand. And he went with her. Friend, whatever you're facing this morning, I promise you this. He wants to go with you. So I want to speak specifically to our ladies this morning. Maybe in some way you can identify with Hannah. You're hurting and you just need to get away with God. Maybe you're concerned about your family. Would you do what Hannah did and just in brokenness bring it to God this morning in prayer? Make a commitment to give him your children, to give him your family. What's that situation that nags at your heart? Know that he hears your cry. And no matter what the outcome may be, you don't need to be sad any longer. Because God is listening. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would seal this message on our hearts. We thank you for the testimony of Hannah, who was bold in her brokenness. And was so willing to come before you and express, Lord, her heart's desire. And how, Father, in the midst of her pain, you gave her yourself. Lord, you provided an answer to her prayer. But, Lord, what I see is so wonderful here is that how you operated in her life. And you became real to her. Lord, I pray that you would use this in our lives this morning as we look at our own families and our own situations, whatever they may be, whatever story is there. Oh, God, may we recognize how much we need you. And so, Jesus, 
Would you renew our hope and our faith and our trust in you? And as families right now are gathered around their phones or their smart TVs or wherever they are, Lord, I just pray that there would be a settledness that this family, this family, we commit ourselves to the Lord our God and help us as parents to be the kind of people that our children can follow and may they see the reflection of Jesus. Lord, lead your people and help us to honor you. I pray this in your holy name.